You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 145. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week, I start by taking a look at the shift from growth to value and cyclicals in the market and how one can structure a portfolio ahead of these shifts. Our star of the week is no stranger to Keystone clients, Dynacor Gold Mines Inc., symbol DNG on the TSX, having been a focus buy recommendation for the past several years. On Monday, the company which purchases ore from small-scale miners or artisanal miners across Peru It processes it and then sells the gold, reported record financial results. The unique dividend-paying gold, Miller, has a great balance sheet and its stock has jumped over 50% this year. Congratulations to all clients who own the business. The company appears poised for a record 2021. Finally, actually, in our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we have two listener questions that we answer this week. The first is on ADF Group Inc., symbol DRX on the TSX, which engages in the design and engineering of connections, fabrication, industrial coatings, and the installation of steel structures, as well as miscellaneous and architectural metal architectural metal work in the U.S. and in Canada. The stock appears to trade at low valuations and could be facing tailwinds from what is expected to be strong infrastructure spending. But is it the right company to participate in this potential boom? We'll take a look. Our second question comes in on Auto Canada Inc., symbol ACQ on the TSX, which owns automobile dealerships in Canada. The company sells 19 brands through a number of dealerships, including Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, Auto. Audi, sorry, Volkswagen, BMW, and Nissan. The stock has booked tremendous gains since the March lows in 2020. Uh, We let you know if it is justifiable and potentially sustainable. Let's get into our show this week. How are you two doing? Doing well. Gentlemen, gentlemen, doing fine. Yep. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I think that I've gotten in Brennan's bad books. I, <laughs> I accidentally asked him how things were going out there in Manitoba. It's, it's so, all the same. Yeah. It's all just how flat. Aaron doesn't know the <laughs> difference, right? To yeah. you guys, basically. Hey, yeah. I know where you live. It's okay. No hard feelings. No hard feelings. I've now made enemies with every <laughs> we just dropped of off. who is on the podcast. All, all two listeners just dropped off in that area. Wow. Oh, there's actually, we see there's hundreds daggers, and ha- up to thousands in that area. So what am I talking yep. about? But yep. gonna, I'm going to just uh, dive into a topic here. It's a quick note. Um, over the past mo- couple months, we've kind of witnessed in the market somewhat of a shift from strict tech and growth stocks to value and cyclical stocks. Uh, Aaron, you called it something, didn't you? Or, or should we say that, or should we alienate more of our audience? 
Oh, I, I heard somebody somebody else called it uh, Grandpa's Revenge, and I thought that was uh, that was a good way of describing it because all of the stocks over the past year, the technology, the space, the highly uh, you know speculative new age kind of stuff that the millennials loved and was associated with the uh, newer, younger way of investing, renewables, all that has kind of pulled back and capital has flowed into those traditional sectors like energy, uh, like mining, and into some of the, yeah, some of so the value spaces. Like old man Simpson, grandpa Simpson yelling at clouds. He has his day. And uh, whether or not this is sustainable uh, or there's a shift going on here, it's really unknown. Uh, it's happened in the past in the market. But let, let, let me give you a couple of quick thoughts or my thoughts in this. Well, first would be the timing investment sentiment or a shift like this in sentiment is next to impossible. One thing that you can do to set up your portfolio and insulate you in the, for these type of shifts is and allow you to perform relatively well regardless of the sentiment of the day uh, is just set your portfolio correctly ahead of time. Now, over the past, and I'll tell you how. Over the past several years, uh, certainly since COVID pandemic, low growth-oriented tech names have performed tremendously well. However, like we said, year to date, the Dow, which we would considered more value-oriented, the Dow itself is up 13.5% and significantly outperformed the growthier tech-laden NASDAQ, which is up just 3.9% thir- in 2021. Uh, those with a strict concentrated tech or growth portfolio have likely underperformed in this environment. Uh, to balance a portfolio, this is why we constantly stress clients hold between 15 and 25 stocks from a wider variety of industries. In fact, that is why we make it a practice to structure our recommendations within the portfolios in this manner, not concentrating on one given sector. Where some tech names may have pulled back, uh, some cyclicals or gold, for example, recently has hit uh, its highest price in four months over this period. Broadly speaking, of gold prices have risen, as you've seen over the past three to five years, this has happened. A great deal of capital has been raised in this sector, and I'll, and we thought it prudent to have some indirect exposure to it in our portfolios. Now, the two names that we have recommended this year posted record quarterly numbers this past week, and the stocks have shot higher, which make them topical. The first company, which has been a focus buy for several years, is going to be our star of the week, and that is Dynacor Gold Mines, DNG on the TSX. It's up 50% year to day. And it's been paying us a 4 to 5% dividend over this time. The company just produced record quarterly numbers this morning and is on pace for that record year this year. The other company we're talking about is a driller in this segment and relatively new to our coverage, so we'll leave that name to clients. But it also recently instituted a dividend, has a cash-rich balance sheet, reported an absolute blow at quarter last week, and is positioned to have a record year. And it still trades at just six times cash flow, despite having a huge jump in its share price over the past week. Now, my larger point that I'm going to get back to here is it's important to select quality companies from a variety of different sectors as stocks tend not to move in a straight line, even the ones that are going up. And over the course of a given year or decade, sentiment can shift on sectors and investment strategies, be it growth versus value. So you need to have some of each of those type of companies within your portfolio. You get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, sir, certainly. It's, I think um, you guys just fell it's, asleep there. It's, I think it's that's a good what breakdown. I, and, <laughs> oh, I was sleeping all right. No, no, I was just thinking deeply. Brandon's passed out. Your, your words. Uh, 
yeah, snoring over here. No, I, I, I mean, and the reason why the money is flowing back into the well, there's a couple reasons, obviously, why money's flowing back into some of these um, sectors that have been beaten down recently, like energy, uh, and that that's because, um, well, one is inflation scares. Yeah. So uh, obviously, there's big concern about inflation. Just recently, for April, the CPI number, consumer price index uh, in the U.S. Um, was reported about, uh, I think it was four, four and a half percent inflation. Um, so that was more than what was expected. Now, some of that is is coming off of a low base and it was in certain areas that um, it may not be, you may not be, it may not be accurate to just extrapolate that out. But certainly, I mean, with all of the expansion and the money supply, uh, which is intended to create inflation in the financial markets and get money into the economy, we, we have been expecting inflation and now it's looking like, we're starting starting to see it. Even Warren Buffett, one of the one of the things that he talked about in his recent annual general meeting is that I mean he owns industrial businesses uh, that essentially touch almost every um, part of the U.S. economy, and he says that that they're pushing through price increases. They're having price increases put on them, so inflation is coming. And some of these you know resource spaces and more traditional spaces they do tend to be. Um, relative to, to some other areas, better places to be during an inflationary environment. Now, I personally believe that it really comes down to uh, cash flow and growth. And one interesting point that I've that I've heard make that I agree with is that companies that are not profitable today, but whereby profitability was expected three, four years from now, are really going to be hard hit in an inflationary environment because then you have to. Um, you have to discount that back at a, at a higher rate, so it's it's essentially worth it's essentially worth less. But to me, uh, it's 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 about companies that are able to um, continue to contribute to the economic growth that we're seeing. So in the technology space and cloud cybersecurity, like these are places, these are areas where you know if I look forward in an inflationary environment or a non-inflationary environment, I see those earnings continuing to rise and over time keeping pace with inflation. And the same as uh, in staple industries, like we have one of our longstanding companies um, in the global infrastructure space that 75% of their cash flow is indexed to inflation. So they're right there with that inflation hedge ready to to essentially grow as, as inflation comes in. So, you know, when it comes to the, to the, really cyclical companies. One of the issues that I have, and I know that you have as well, Ryan, is that we really like to be able to get a finger on a, a real sense of where the earnings and cash flow are going to be over the next one to three, you know, three to five years out. And it's really difficult to do that with a cyclical stock. I mean, you can, you know, look a couple quarters ahead, maybe a year ahead, but you really have very little idea where earnings or cash flow are going to be three years from now you want to you want a story you understand where you see growth and you see that growth continuing in different yeah types and of it's a great point because the drilling company that i'm talking about that we just introduced to our clients this year i mean typically we're looking three to five years ahead for the businesses we would be looking a little bit shorter term and we're kind of trying to take advantage of all the money that's been raised in that sector um, and you know how now it's going to be deployed and it has been deployed into the ground um, you know you want to buy the more profitable name in that sector and take advantage of it over an 18 to 24 month period I mean some people say there could be a super cycle well we're participating in it if there is but uh, we'll likely take some profit off the table far quicker in a name like that because it is hard to look out three to five years in a sector that can be so volatile such as that but you want somebody if you're going to look at this sector and look at 
participating uh, in a highly cyclical segment. Not all names in the segment are alike, and uh, there's some we wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. The, the driller that we went with in this segment um, is just far more profitable than most in the segment and more consistently profitable. Um, you know, we looked at, I've looked at several names over the years in this segment, and I was pointing out to Brennan just last week, there was a name, uh, Faraco is a name that we've looked at. And, you know, it's just, the share price has done reasonably well to start this year, but it's just a debt heavy business. Whereas the company that we're, we like in this segment right now has no debt is far more profitable, trades at a lesser market valuation, and uh, you can buy it right now. It pays you a dividend as well. And uh, the multiple that you're paying on the stock is lesser too. So, you know, you do, when we're going to look at a riskier name like this, we're going to compare it to everyone else in the se- sector as well and uh, find the pick of the litter and go with what we think is the best value with the most growth over the course of the year. So, you know, that's a company that our clients have uh, now invested in, and hopefully we can benefit from that as it has a record year over the course of this year. Yeah, something about that stock too that I just found was so interesting is it that company is technically like a lagging indicator from the gold price. As Ryan kind of said, we saw the, uh, the price of gold go up. I guess maybe that was mid last year, beginning of this year, essentially. Saw the price of gold go up. That means a lot of you know junior and major uh, exploration companies are going to be drilling more, which of course you know trickles down to you know this driller or someone like uh, the company that we recommended. So I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Now just yeah, to and, just and to uh, or go on. Yeah, well, I was going to say I find that. I, I like to see at least a year, often two to three years of like positivity in the sector before of companies raising money. Mm-hmm. And then, you, you know, you're these uh, there's some sleepy drillers that sit out there and companies that service the sector that, uh, you, you know, they don't produce the tremendous results until you see a real uptick over an extended period. The money is raised. They don't have the pricing power at the start, but as the uh, as the cycle moves forward, they get better pricing power. So you get tremendous revenue growth, then there's higher demand, then you get more price, pricing power in the segment. And, you know, they can have a significant run over, a, you know, a one to two to three year period. And that's what we're looking at now. You just got to know the names, know the people behind them, uh, buy the ones with, you know, with the best balance sheets and growth outlook as well. Sorry, Brandon, I cut you. Go. Oh, no, no, that's good. I was just going to pose a question to you guys afterwards and just say, so, you know, say, say we do believe that inflation is, you know, going to come in. Like Aaron said, there's a lot of money sloshing around. Which way would you guys want to hedge against inflation the most? Would you just want to hold good stocks that can kind of pass on that inflation to the end consumer? Do you want to hold gold? Do you truly believe in gold as a good combat to inflation? Or would you, you know, want to make more of a, a hedge trade? Uh, and again, I call this a trade, not an investment, where you're, you know, going long in an inverse bond ETF. So just for anyone that doesn't understand that, uh, in an inverse bond ETF, um, essentially, if rates are going up, the bond value will go down. So if we're in an inverse bond ETF, if the value of bonds go down, essentially, the ETF that we're in would go up. So I just want to pose that question to you and Aaron. Would you guys rather just be in stocks, uh, you know, gold, make some kind of hedge like that? What are you guys' thoughts? 
Well, I, I would definitely say not the third option, not not the not the um, inverse ETF. It is that, a trade. It is too very speculative strategy. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, Ryan, I, I what, do you we're gonna for our clients, we're gonna recommend them buy great companies. You know, uh, over time, that's gonna be our strategy. Um, as as far as I mean, there's ways that. I mean, some of the businesses that we have, like the like the Dynacores, they're going to do well if gold does well in this environment because more people want to bring them or the more throughput they have, the more it's mined, the, the better they'll do. So they could do well in that environment. Um, you know, I, I don't like putting a complete hedge on the portfolio because, you know, the, we've seen inflation environments where stocks have done well before you've seen and, and good businesses, I believe, are going to well do well through any environment. So uh, for me, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to get too complicated for the average client in their portfolios and, you know, but holding good businesses do well in any type of environment, in our opinion. Aaron, if you want to. Yep, makes sense. Yeah, and typically the inflation is going to be driven by by strong economic growth. So, you know, you could say stocks perform good or well in a certain environment, but that doesn't necessarily tell you how um, specific companies or specific industries are going to do. So we, we really see the opportunity, the long-term opportunity to be investing in companies that are, you know, providing those essential services um, that are... Uh, you know, solving problems and making money doing it, right? So in, in the technology space, in the healthcare space, in like the infrastructure space, um, you know, s- sometimes staple simple businesses. And, you know, my example of the the global infrastructure stock that we that we have under coverage that, that is able to pass, you know, 75%, 75% of its cash flows are indexed to inflation. So that provides, you know, a hedge there. It's really about, you know, rather than trying to predict what's going to happen to the economy or what's going to happen to the world in the next three years to have a portfolio of good, solid companies in a number of different sectors. And maybe you'll have some exposure to some more cyclical stocks, like Ryan said, but it's it's a managed amount of exposure. And it's not assuming that what you think might play out is for sure going to play out the way you're expecting it, right? You want to have um, different types of companies, some defensive, some growth, and um you know, but good, solid growth oriented businesses um, that are going to perform well um, together in, in multiple different. Types yeah, because of we can all um, predict that inflation is going to ravage the economy. And then uh, two years from now, we could see some scenario where there's a deflationary cycle. So we positioned our portfolio completely uh, well for potentially an inflationary cycle. And if that does not happen, our portfolio probably gets hurt significantly. So if we're focusing on some of the things that we can't control versus the things that we can control, like picking that portfolio of great quality, 15 to 25 great quality businesses. And when, when we talk about, and we talked about diversification today, um, I always like to stress on the flip side, um, we do say 15 to 25 stocks for a reason, holding much more than 20 stocks from a variety of industries, and you're going to receive little benefit from diversification at that point. In fact, you start to have a portfolio that's difficult to manage and can inhibit your ability to best the market over the long term. So anytime we talk about diversification, for us, that just doesn't mean buying 
you know, 100 stocks or 10 or 20 ETFs or 10 or 20 individual mutual funds. So I always like to stress that because, you know, a lot of people talk about diversification like it's a panacea that it'll solve everything in your portfolio. Um, we think that that sweet spot is 15 to 25 stocks that'll allow you to try to best the market if that's what you're trying to do over the long term. So, and make just make sure they're quality businesses, what you can control. Whether we're heading into an inflationary environment or in it right now, I mean, you look at the price of lumber, the price of many commodities, it definitely looks that way. Uh, some people will argue deflation can come because technology uh, technology fights inflation over time. So, I mean, that is the thing. These are some things that we can contemplate and think about and think deeply about over time. But can we control any of them in our portfolio? No, but we can control the individual quality businesses that we put in there. And I'm going to segue into our star of the week. From our stars and dogs segment, it's time for this week's star. Star. Because here's a quality business that we put in our portfolio and recommended this year to clients, recommended, I recommended it at the Outlook this year. Uh, The stock is up 50% since that time. The company is called Dynacor Gold Mines. We already touched on it. DNG on the TSX. 270, I believe it closed today. About $105 million market cap. Dividend yield is 2.34%. Why is it a star? Well, it's up 15% this month, 50% this year, not including that strong dividend. What does Dynacor do? Well, they have a simple business model. The company purchases oil, oil, (laughs) or likely, from small-scale miners or artisanal miners across Peru, processes it at its Veta Dorada mill, and sells the extracted gold and silver on the market. As a result, the profitability of this business really depends on primarily two factors, a margin between the price of ore purchased and the market price of gold. The higher the margin, the better. Throughput, the amount of ore would be number two. The higher throughput, the better. I would add in the higher gold price environment that you can see encourages more uh, artisanal or small-scale miners to bring them that ore, which makes the company more profitable over time. So it does benefit from the price of oil or, sorry, gold going up over time by that methodology. Now, driving the stock price, what is driving it? Dynacor reported record quarterly sales, $40.9 million. A net income of about five cents U.S., six cents Canadian. That was ahead of their annual guidance. In March, Dynacor initiated the expansion of its Veta Dorada processing plant, which will increase the throughput level from its actual right now about 345 tons per day to 430 tons per day. That's a 25% increase. The nameplate capacity, though, it's actually just 300 tons per day, so the increase from the nameplate is 43%. The expansion is scheduled to be completed on time and on budget. Now, you get all this in the company with a great balance sheet. Cash on hand is $17.2 million U.S., as at March 31st, up from 11.9 million at year end 2020, and there's no debt here. So the guidance for this year, the company issued guidance forecasting sales of 150 million U.S., which would represent 47% year-over-year growth and net income of 6.9 million, or 18 cents U.S. per share. And as of March 31st, as at the end of its last quarter, Dynacor is slightly ahead of 2021 financial guidance. So great results this week, and the strong share price move make Dynacor our star of the week. Awesome. 
Yeah, and it's it's it. That's why it always. I mean, that, there's a good example of a company. You know, it's 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 exposed to the metal space, but it's still a unique business. It's still, you know, a cash flow positive business. Even you know, l- less sensitive, I would presume to to gold prices than a typical mining company. Um, and it's just something that you can add into your portfolio that that um, still meets a, a really stringent criteria for profitability and, and sustainable cash flow, but also is you know essentially a, a material. Yes, and, and it, like well. like you said, it doesn't have the the straight exposure to gold it's been profitable for years and year and year over year over year in differing environments even profitable last year where it had to shut down its mill in peru for three to four month period so it still over the course of that year produced profitability where you know in the gold sector from year to year even some of the better producers out there can fluctuate greatly in terms of their profitability this company continues to add cash expanding the existing uh, operations in Peru and uh, now looking to move into another jurisdiction in Senegal to add growth there as well. So, you know, that's probably 18 months away, but, you know, there's some growth on the horizon via the existing operations and the uh, Senegal operations coming forward. And you get that, you have been getting that at a relatively reasonable price and you've been waiting and getting paid to wait with a quality dividend too. And there's a potential for that dividend to be up this year. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, We've gone through our star of the week. We're going to take two questions in our Your Stock, Our Take segment. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. The first one, Brennan, you're handling that. That is on ADF Group Inc., symbol DRX on the TSX. Yes. Uh, so this came in from Andrew via Facebook as well as Braden via Twitter. Um, so technically, uh, crossing off two questions here, almost two birds. Um, so ADF one Group stone. Inc. The yeah, one stone exactly. Thanks for that. <laughs> ADF Group Inc. Uh, DRX on the TSX currently trading at a price of around a dollar forty and has a market cap of forty five point four million. Um, and they do pay a, a nice little yield of about 2.9%, which is good. So ADF Group engages in the design and engineering of connections, fabrication, industrial coating, and the installation of steel structures, as well as miscellaneous and architectural metalwork in the U.S. and Canada. The company's products and services are intended for the five principal segments of the non-residential construction industry, which include office towers and high-rises, commercial and recreational buildings, airport facilities, industrial complexes, and transport infrastructures. So a few key points uh, that Andrew and Braden said, I just want to go over. So Braden said in the face of the upcoming infrastructure bill in the US, uh, it could possibly uh, benefit from this infrastructure bill. And he also noted that they do have very attractive fundamentals, which we will look at shortly. And Andrew said revenue growth has been flat year over year, but cash flow from operations is the strongest metric with a strong growth rate. So let's take a look at the financial results. This is for the fiscal year end of 2021. Um, for the period ended January 31st of 2021. Now, revenue for the year was $172.6 million, a decrease of 4% from the 2020 fiscal year. 
EBITDA was $16.3 million, an increase of 213% from fiscal 2020. Net income for the year was $6.9 million, compared to a loss of $2.1 million for the same period last year. Funds from operation was $10.2 million, an increase of 112% from the same period last year. And ADF also has a healthy balance sheet with a net debt and lease position of $7.8 million and a net debt to EBITDA multiple of about 0.5 times. So that's good. And last, looking at the fundamentals here, they have an enterprise value to EBITDA multiple of approximately three and a half times, which does appear attractive. So uh, after the, the last quarter was released, uh, management did provide some guidance, and they say that uh, during the fiscal year, the company increased its order backlog to $436.2 million, compared with a backlog of $328.7 million at January 31st of 2020, and most of the contracts are expected to be progressively completed by the end of the fiscal year ending January 31st of 2023. And as well, after the last financial results, the CEO uh, stated, despite the pandemic's impacts and its effects, we have been able to continue to grow our order backlog and greatly improve our cash position, despite the pressure on the prices of the projects currently in the backlog uh, that could reduce margins in coming quarters. We welcome the recent announcements regarding investments in infrastructure projects that should reduce this pressure. So, you know, backlogs increasing, but they are possibly going to have some pressure on margins because of... Uh, um, increasing input. Um, so looking at the, uh, or just to conclude here, uh, I do like the macro thought behind an investment in ADF uh, with Biden's U.S. infrastructure bill. Uh, plus, the company's fundamentals are reasonably attractive with an enterprise value to EBITDA multiple of three and a half times, has a nice yield, a healthy balance sheet with manageable debt load, and an increasing backlog. But one concern I have is revenue has been very lumpy and essentially flat over the past four years. If we look at 2018, the company ended up generating $180 million in revenue during that year. In 2019, they did $135 million. In 2020, they did about $180 million again. And in 2021, they did $172 million. So as you can see, we haven't really been getting much growth uh, over the last four years. So that you know brings up some, some concerns in my mind of where uh, the company will be headed going forward, even though their backlog has increased. Um, and, and you know the other concern that I have is although you know the backlog is increasing, management said that uh, there could be some pressure on margins in the coming quarters, um, which could affect profitability. So you know taking this into consideration, it is tough to say whether it is an attractive investment right now. Uh, and it would be nice to talk to management directly to get an indication of revenue and EBITDA growth expected in the 2022 fiscal year. Because if, if we're paying three and a half times enterprise value to EBITDA for 20% revenue growth and 20% earnings growth, I think it could be of value right now. But if earnings are expected to remain relatively flat or decline with only a bit of revenue growth, it could potentially be a value trap. Now, it is an interesting stock right now, and there might be an opportunity, but with the uncertainty surrounding the future growth rate and lumpy track record, I find it difficult to, to determine whether it truly is a buying opportunity. Now, I'm not saying that there will not be growth going forward, but what I am saying is I am not confident enough in the runway for growth to determine whether it is indeed a buying opportunity. And this is something that I would need to conduct a little bit more research on to conclude whether the stock does offer growth at a reasonable price. That was long. I think Sorry. that's a good... Uh... I know. I think that's a good, uh, good assessment, and that's that's the concern that I would have with these construction-based stocks as well. Is that 
really, you know, it's 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 not a clean growth story in terms of, you know, consistent year over year growth uh, over a long term basis. Typically, these things are, are quite lumpy. Um, you really have to pay attention to the backlog uh, and, you know, you they're cyclical bottom line is that they're cyclical so um some of the numbers you talked about were did did appear to be quite interesting i took a look i can't see any analyst ratings on the stock right now um but certainly it's it's worth looking further into but these are generally volatile businesses and yes if you look at the if you look at the historic financial performance of the company it's um it it really is up and down yeah and like they do say that like you know, most of their their backlog, they, they say most of these contracts are expected to be progressively completed by the end of the fiscal year ending January 31st of 2023. So that's technically two years out. So, you know, generally speaking, some of that could be done, you know, this this fiscal year right now, some of that could be done, or maybe more of it will be done in the next fiscal year. I don't know, it's just it's just hard to get, you know, uh, um, an idea of what growth they're expecting this year. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's I've looked at this company for years. Um, Valuations look good and the tailwinds from the infrastructure, that seems to be good. Uh, It's just been historically contract driven and you have lumpy cash flows on a quarterly basis and even annual basis and lumpy revenue Uh, and the market typically just doesn't afford a high multiple to companies who surprise one quarter, do well that quarter, do poor the next quarter, uh, you know, and it just doesn't lend itself to the company receiving a premium or even, you know, market equivalent multiple in the, you know, it's always trading at a discount. So um, those are some of the reasons that we see now that, that it trades at a discount. I mean, you look at, you know, we don't use book value very often, but you look at the company's book value back to 2017, it's got the same book value today, basically, or slightly lower. Um, you know, and when you look at the numbers last year in terms of cash flow, everything looked quite, it looked a lot better than we saw uh, in the previous like three, four years where, you know, there was a lot of lumpiness and I mean, this the the numbers. If we just look at this past year, they look like the company adds value. Um, again, Brandon talked about the concern about um, lower margins from some of the contracts on the books. We'd have to get a better read on you know whether the low margin comes at a loss or are we just talking about uh, a squeeze down to margins where it's still going to be significantly profitable. So those are the things we'd have to dig into to the business to see. Uh, if there was a potential buy here or if it's a company that looks like more of a value trap or something like that in the market. Um, again, we've watched it for years. The share price is, you know, you look back 10 years, it's basically in the same range. Um, we'd like to see a company that had more consistent cash flow over time. It's very difficult to get that out of this type of business uh, where, it, you know, you're driven by uh, you're driven by the contract nature of its uh, customers. So. We'll continue to monitor the company um, and uh, continue to answer questions on businesses like that in our Your Stock, Our Take segment over time. Aaron's got our final Your Stock, Our Take. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. That is on Auto Canada. I'll let you take that one. Great. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Auto Canada trades under the symbol ACQ on the Toronto Exchange. It uh, is trading at a price of about $45 right now, and it's a $1.2 billion market cap company. Auto Canada owns automotive dealerships in Canada and the United States. 
the company sells 27 brands through 66 dealerships. These brands include Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, Audi, BMW, Nissan, and Porsche. I've actually been following this company for quite a while, and going back more than five years ago, it was at one point a real star. Uh, the stock has spent most of the last five years, on the other hand, in the penalty box, and just recently has come back to life. Autos are another pandemic success story, and Auto Canada's stock is up from about $14 immediately before the pandemic began in 2020 to nearly $45 today. And this is the highest share price the stock has seen since 2014. The strong financial performance has been driven, um, has been driving the share price appreciation. 2020 was a good year with 8% growth in revenue and 87 cents in earnings per share compared to a loss in the previous year. And this financial strength has also continued into the first quarter of 2021 as well. The company recently reported the, the, the first quarter results. Revenue increased 37% to $970 million. This is the company's highest revenue quarter in its history. Earnings per share were $0.77 cents compared to a loss of $1.70 last year. Auto Canada has made several acquisitions of new dealerships over the past year. As well, they have reduced their interest expense through refinancing. Analysts are expecting about $2.84 per share in 2021 and about $3.17 in 2022. And based on the current financial momentum that the company is generating, I think that these estimates look more or less reasonable. I think that Auto Canada is an interesting story. It really has come back from the dead over the past year. Uh, it, is, it is a good business overall, and based on analyst 2022 estimates, the valuation is about 14 times earnings. Growth going forward would largely be a result of acquisitions of new dealerships, as well as any structural enhancements they can make to improve margins. I will say that this is a very consumer-driven business. It's been cyclical. We have seen the company and its shareholders go through several years of difficult financial performance. The company had to reduce and then completely discontinue its dividend. And the valuation based on analyst estimates, while not unreasonable given current market valuations for growth stocks, uh, is, not also, is also not necessarily cheap um, when we consider the volatility historically in the company's financial performance. Any investors looking to take a position should consider these risks. Yeah, I think it's a good summary of, you know, the businesses has been volatile. It certainly is in an up cycle right now. And, you know, the valuations, um, if you just looked on it unto itself, they look attractive. If you look at it onto the history of the business, they're probably about right where it should be right now. So we'll continue to monitor Auto Canada. Any comments on that, Brennan? Or are you, you're good for the day? I was day. just going to say. Want you fall so, asleep one more I time mean, or? No, I didn't fall asleep. I was okay. listening. So you just said, so Auto Canada is in an up cycle. Like, would we say that that's generally because people are taking advantage of cheaper debt to, you know, finance vehicles? Or we really don't have, you know, too much of an idea. I know we're going out on a limb. or I'm even going out on a limb asking you guys. Maybe we don't know. And we'd have to research that. But well, one thing that's that that's interesting is there's been a um, there's been a huge increase in the price of used cars, and I, I don't know how this exactly has transitioned to to new cars, but I know that there there has been an increase in demand, and part of that I think is pent up demand because people who were maybe going to buy a car a year ago didn't. Um, but also, I've 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 heard that part of it is that uh, people are that would at one point have taken public transit. Are now wanting to to drive in their own cars. So um, I think that generally speaking, 
you know, there's been some strong economic drivers for the company. I think the company has also made changes to its own business. They've also made some acquisitions as well. So, I mean, it's 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 a combination of things. But people have money in their pockets right now. I mean, once again, you're still you're not taking a trip. So it kind of it fits into that theme. It's something that you can buy today. Like you can't buy a trip. There's certain things you can't buy. Um, you can't go out in a lot of places, at least in Canada, to to a nice restaurant. Um, but you know you can you can treat um, yourself with a new buy. vehicle, right? Apparently, yep. yeah, yeah, or yeah. used, yeah, vehicle. or used, or, or yeah, no new, that, new to you, new to you, right? So, yeah, mm-hmm. excellent. Well, that's going to close off our show for this week. Keep your questions coming into our your stock our take segment. We'll probably have a stock debate on an individual company or two companies within the same segment for you next week if you've got any of those send them in and we'll endeavor to answer them over the coming weeks keep rating us and reviewing us on itunes and uh you know reaching out to us on social media we'll keep providing the content here on a weekly basis i'd like to thank my co-host and uh, thank all our listeners out there and wish you all profitable investing profitable investing thanks everyone 